episode 12 of the Board Game Geek podcast, where we geek out about board games, the mechanisms behind them, and the people who create them. I'm your host, Candace Harris, and I'm so excited to be here today with Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire. How's it going, Liz? It's going great, Candace. I'm so excited to talk to you again. We have a good time every time we have a conversation, so I'm pumped to be on your pod. I know. It seems like it was kind of forever ago that I was on your podcast, but yeah, it, it it's always great to talk to you, and I'm hoping one day we'll actually get to play some games together. <laughs> right? Like, we got to meet in person at PAX, but we didn't get a game in, and that's I know, a loss for I know. me. It's close. We're, we're getting there. One, one step, little by little. <laughs> <laughs> one convention we get to eat together. Next convention, we'll actually play a game together done yes it must happen <laughs> so <laughs> so what is new in your world i mean i know of one thing new in your world that i'm kind of curious to hear more about that i heard about on twitter that you're working on a game with david thompson Liz, that's i am <laughs> i am so um i have started making the leap from person who judges games into person who <laughs> who uh makes games it's terrifying <laughs> it's a terrifying transition um <laughs> love it love it <laughs> but uh david thompson and i are buddies so basically we became actual friends because we are both awake at like four in the morning or four thirty. we're both extreme morning people and so <laughs> For the past several years, we've just kind of chatted about our lives on Facebook Messenger before anybody else is awake. And, you know, we talk <laughs> about games a lot. Obviously, we're both game people. And we decided yeah, that we yeah. want to do one together. And one of the ideas that we're batting back and forth is the possibility of doing Night Witches. So uh, the Night Witches are Soviet female pilots of World War II. And we are making a little game about you know, flying dinky little biplanes to bomb Nazis. And it's uh, pretty satisfying. Wow, that's so cool. And what a great partner. Uh, for those listening, if you're not familiar with David Thompson, David Thompson is uh, one of the designers of War Chess um, and the in, the Undaunted series, like Undaunted Normandy, Undaunted North Africa. Many aw awesome games. I'm a big fan of just about everything I've played that David has worked on. Um, yeah. So I was stoked to hear about this. <laughs> yeah. So this is actually going to be my first design, but it's his bajillion. It's the guy's a machine. Uh, but one thing that's actually been really cool about working with David is that he, even though he is far more experienced as a designer than I am, the process really feels 50 50 between us when we meet up and when we make stuff together. And awesome. he's just such a good co-designer and such a good partner and he's so good at listening to what I'm thinking and expressing what he's thinking. It's He's just an absolute delight to work with. And I'm not surprised because, I mean, obviously we were friends beforehand. We knew we got along. Right, but right. when you make the leap to work with someone, that changes your relationship. And I am really, really glad that that has been a good decision. In fact, awesome. best decision. <laughs> but um, I don't know awesome. when this episode is going to air, but... We are planning to demo our game for the very first time online at SD HisCon on March 18th. And then we are also going to have a physical prototype at um, Circle DC at the end of March going into April. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, that is very, very exciting news. I'm really happy for you both. And I'm excited about the game. So I'm hoping to check out that demo um, for SD HisCon on March 18th, depending on what time it is, because I'm also doing... 
a teach and play with Jason Matthews for Twilight Struggle Red Sea, which I'm excited about. Oh, that's um, awesome. We're yeah, supposed to be at you. 1 p.m. Oh, uh, wait, 1 p.m. Pacific or East? EST. EST. Oh, okay. Okay. Then I could probably swing that because mine is not until noon Pacific. So, yes. So. <laughs> cool. Cool. Anyways, anyways. So, yeah. So, Liz has an awesome channel that I watched getting into board games early on called Beyond Solitaire, where she'll go through and review and do playthroughs of solo games and kills it, really kills it. So (laughs) I realized, you know, when I got into playing board games solo, you know, that both of us and several other people out there find a lot of joy in solo gaming. So today we want to share kind of why we love solo gaming And we want to make some solo board game recommendations for a few specific categories from like good lunchtime games to games you can just like get into and play all day long. And hopefully this will shine some light on a few awesome board games out there that are either designed specifically for solitaire play or multiplayer games that play really, really well solo. And like whether whether you played a board game solo or not, or you already love playing board game solo, you might discover something new that brings you joy. But before we delve into the joys of solo board gaming, I'd love to hear about what you've been playing lately, Liz. So let's jump into fresh plays. All right, so, um, you know, my fresh plays are very much determined by the review copies that are in my home currently. So, <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, makes sense. So I, 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 I wrapped my review today for it. So I'm going to give you a mixed, a fresh plays and a, eh, I guess it's fresh plays. So we'll start, we'll start with the... <laughs> <laughs> Not so fresh plays. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, this is going to come after my review's already out. But um, I've just been playing Galenus from Ion. Ooh. And I, it's a mixed bag if we, if okay. you want to talk about that. Uh, but it's designed by Harry Pekka Kusula. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. It's from Ion and it plays one of four players. It's a new game that just came out this year about Galen, uh, a Roman doctor. And the idea is that it's about uh, sort of competing and, and doing some showmanship as a doctor because there's a, a medical competition at the end of each year in the game. And there's also some rivalry. You know, if your reputation gets too big, your health starts to drop because people are trying to poison you for your mm. success uh galen himself had to flee rome a couple of times in order to wow. avoid his his enemies those who couldn't stand to see his success Yikes. um <laughs> so there are some really cool ideas in the game um it's a worker placement game where you are placing your little metapoles you know your little medical meeples at different spots around the board <laughs> sometimes in your house and the the catch is that you have a pretty good number of meeples available to you from the very start of the game. However, um, the trick is deciding when to start pulling them back because once you start to pull them back, you can't place any more out, but Mm. also the person who starts taking their actions first gets first crack at all the actions. So you have to decide like how bad you want something versus how much you want to get done. 
Ah. And what you think other people are going to do. Okay. And, you know, the sort of little interlocking mechanisms like that are really interesting. And the order in which you take actions is interesting because you can learn from other physicians. So if somebody goes before you on a space and you follow them, then you can actually bump up tracks extra because they did the work before you that turn. Um, you know, there's just like lots of little catches and things that are that are interesting. And a lot of them are really based in history, which I, I appreciate very much. Um, you know, it's based on a book called i think the prince of medicine it's by a professor who actually lives in georgia not too far from me um talking about galen's career and his work and his life and you know the game is really trying to bring that out to i, I mean i think without being overly complicated as a game it actually does a pretty good job with that however cool. the bad the game was definitely designed a tabletop simulator and not enough people played this baby in person it is uh, graphically a mess. There are parts that are too big. There are parts that are too small. Tons of tiny text, tiny numbers. There is a piece that I wasn't even sure was a piece that is like so small oh. that I almost just threw it away. And oh, no. the solo rules are kind of half-baked. And also the good part where you have to decide when to start getting results versus planning out actions is out of the solo. And I just don't think it's as good a game without Gotcha, gotcha. So did you uh were did you only get to play it solo or did you play it multiplayer also? I played both. Um I try as much as possible in my solo reviews to play it multiplayer as well, because I think if it has both modes, if you can get both in, then it's a better review because you know, people want to know can the game switch hit in my collection? Uh, is this really a multiplayer game and the solo is kind of a half-baked, like lesser echo of the original? You know, who is this for? If you haven't played both, you maybe don't actually know the answer to that. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I have, um, I actually have Galenus and I haven't tried it yet. Um, the theme originally uh, definitely kind of attracted me to it. And, um, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't tried it yet, so I can't <laughs> comment any further, but uh, that's a good Good first uh, hot take on it. <laughs> I will look out for your actual official review. <laughs> so that is Galenus. Um, me, on the other hand, I recently played a very old game, <laughs> not Ooh. a new game. Uh, so last year, uh, last year for my birthday weekend, I wanted to play Dune. Um, the original Dune board game, well, the, the 2019 version of the game that was created in 1979, crazy. I wanted to play Dune and I didn't get around to it. Like Dune has been a game that I picked up after the 2019 edition came out. And I've always been like, I'm going to love this game. I want to try this game. And I just ha ha have never gotten it to the table. And last year for my birthday, I was supposed to do it, but it didn't happen. So this year I was like, let's play Dune. So I got together with um, Tom from the Game Brain podcast and Ben from the Green Brain podcast also. And uh, my partner, Matt, and my friends, Jake and Cassie. And we huddled up last Saturday morning for a game of Dune, which I had a blast. We all had a blast. We all had a blast. Um, so if you're not familiar, like Dune is, you know, again, it was originally released in 1979. So crazy to me because 
it still feels so fresh as a game for something that was designed so long ago. Um, and it was designed by Bill Eberly, Jack Kitteridge, and Peter Olatka. And it's published by Gale Force 9. It plays with two to six players. And it's based on Frank Herbert's Dune, you know, the novel. And, uh, you know, the movies, too, which are based on the book. Uh, but in the game, each player is the leader of one of the key factions. Like you have one player representing the Atreides, one the Fremen, one the Emperor, the Spacing Guild, the Harkonnen, and the Betty Gesserit. There are also expansions that add other factions you can play. And everyone has asymmetric abilities, which are really awesome and very thematic. Uh, I was the Fremen. And uh, basically, there's a way sandworms can pop up in a region where you have troops and it can just like eat all of the troops and just wipe you off the board. But not mine. I can I, I don't get wiped away from a sandworm. And in addition, I can actually ride the sandworm to a new space. Yes. That's one of my powers. So it's <laughs> crazy. Awesome. Like. Yeah. So if you're the Benny Gesserit player, um, you can use the voice during combat and kind of influence combat by telling your opponent that they can't use a certain weapon or they must use a certain weapon. And if they have that, they have to use it. So it's like all the abilities are so, so cool. And this is essentially an area influence game with a lot of interesting negotiation and backstabbing opportunities. Um, the, yeah, the, the, game, the game has a circular map that represents Dune, and it's kind of divided into pie-slice sectors. But then in that circle, there are different regions, and there are five key strongholds. And to win the game you need to have control of three strongholds at the end of a round. Or if you're in an alliance with another player, you and your ally have to control four strongholds together. So you'll play a max of 10 rounds, and each round you play through all these different phases. And it's kind of like really straightforward, like what you're doing on every phase. Most of them are quick, but sometimes like things like negotiating, different things could like slow it down. But... Uh, so I guess one of the things that happens, there's like a storm phase where there's like a storm marker that's going to go around, move to the next sector and it'll wipe away any soldiers or spice wherever it passes. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's rough out there in the desert, you know, not everybody can survive unless you're Fremen like me. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, and then you'll flip cards and you'll, uh, distribute spice into regions and spices, the currency of the game. So uh, there'll be like two areas that get loaded up with spice. So they're going to be very enticing for players to like move and try to get to those spaces so they can collect spice at the end of the round. And then uh, there's also, uh, I guess during that spice phase, it's driven by a deck of cards. And in that deck of cards, there are cards that say when the sandworm is going to appear And when the sandworm appears, you will have this uh, kind of a break to have a nexus phase. And that's when you can kind of discuss if you want to make or break alliances. So so in this game, you can ally with another player or another faction. And 
it's really cool. And when you're allied with them, not you can also you can win together, but you can also um, you know use each other's abilities. So you get like their alliance card, and you can use part of whatever their special ability is, which is really cool. And you'll be kind of just like plotting. Like there were many moments where we're walking, you know, walking away with our partners and whispering things to each other. So it added a really interesting dynamic. Our game did not last long enough for uh, people to break any alliances. So we kind of set our alliances and then never changed them. But I, I think that's a really cool aspect of the game. Um, and then there's a phase where you bid for these treachery cards and the Atreides player can actually peek at the cards before so they see who's getting certain cards so they have some some info there. And then you're able to... Oh, the other thing is like, like when you're bidding for cards, you're paying that spice that you're buying cards with to the Emperor player. So the Emperor is getting paid and is sort of like incentivized to like bid up things. And in my game, the Emperor and the Atreides player were in an alliance together so you know the Atreides player could see what the cards are they could be messing with us and like saying like "Ooh, this looks like a good card but the Atreides player could also say hey Liz um if you pay me a spice I'll tell you what this card is or I'll show you this card so that you could see if it's worth bidding on and stuff like that so there's all this like fun kind of uh side deals happening but then there's a phase where you can ship new trips in, troops into the board on the map. And that costs spice also, unless you're me, the desert people. Uh, it's free for me. But when you pay that, you're paying it to the Spacing Guild player. So that's one of the ways the Spacing Guild player is getting paid all that spice. Uh, but then you can move your troops around. And then after everybody's done that movement, it's time for combat. And combat is so cool in this game. Have, wait, have you played it before? Have you played Not Dune old yet? Dune, no, no. Oh, okay. So combat doesn't use dice or anything silly like that. You have this combat dial, right? And however many little troop tokens you have, each of them is typically worth a half of strength. So you're figuring out like, oh, if I have 10 troop tokens... You know, I could I could risk up to I could dial this up to five and say I have five strength. I'm committing five strength from my troops. Then you have leader tokens. So each faction has a variety of leader tokens that also vary in their strength. So you pick one, you secretly pick one of your leader tokens. And then you have these treachery cards, which I kind of was uh talking about during the the bidding phase. But these treachery cards can be like weapons that can kill other leaders. Or they could be defense to protect your leader. Um, and then there are a bunch of worthless cards. Like they're literally like they say worthless <laughs> in the deck. So sometimes you bid on cards and it's just garbage. Uh, but you you can play uh, as, as long as you're playing a leader, you can play two cards and you're doing this secretly behind a dial. So it's this very, very tense feeling because I'm looking at the amount of troops you have. And it's like, you, logically, you could say, okay, she's probably not going to risk all of her troops, so she might try to do this, but what leader is she going to use? I don't know. So you're trying to kind of get inside the head of your opponent when you're dialing in what you want to do and make sure you're also not going to like completely kill your army. Uh, and then there's this big reveal, 
Then once you see what the your opponent's leader is, everybody gets a traitor card at the beginning of the game, unless you're the Harkonnen player who gets a bunch of traitor cards. And Ooh. you can, if you have that leader, you can play a traitor card and they immediately lose. So when you're picking your leader, you're also trying to think like, what like what leader does my opponent think I'm going to pick or, or would my opponent want me to pick because they might have my trader card or what, you know, so there's all this stuff that goes in. It's really, really cool. We had an amazing time playing. So my friend Tom from Game Brain has played Dune a lot. So I knew I was like, I want him to be part of my first game. I want him to teach like he always kind of like LARPs and, and brings in like a lot of like extra flavor to the game. He was the Benny Gesserit player and he had this stack of uh, paper, little, little sheets of paper. We were like, what is he doing? He's handing out to all of us at different points throughout the game, blessings. Here's a blessing for you, a blessing for you. And I get a <laughs> blessing from him that's basically like, hey, like we should be allies. But it's all in like, it's flavored like it's like a Benny Gesserit mother kind of like writing it. So it was just wild. And he's passing them out to different players to kind of manipulate everybody. And uh, everybody just got like really into it. I love that how the alliances work and the combat system is just so dope. And I cannot believe that it's a 40, almost 44 year old game, I think at this point. And it still feels really, really fresh. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm about to have my own elderly game adventure. Um, I finally, <laughs> finally, finally uh, found a group of people who are willing to play Republic of Rome online with <gasps> me starting next awesome. month. Awesome. Online. Yeah. And like online? Vassal. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So I think we're just going to play the early Republic bit. But yeah, we're going to be a bunch of like skullduggery ridden little Roman senators trying to advance our interests and also keep everything from falling apart. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, uh, my friend Tom, who loves Dune, also has Republic of Rome. So that is something I want to play at some point. I was trying to, like, get my own copy at some point. But, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. But anyway, that is Dune. What else have you been playing lately? So my other fresh play uh, is one that I have yet to review. I haven't done all my review plays yet, but things are looking promising. It is Stonewall Uprising. And this is yeah. a game that came out this year. It's designed by Taylor Schuss, who is awesome, as you know. Yep, yep. It's from Catastrophe Games, and it's a one to two player game. So Stonewall Uprising is about uh, the Stonewall Uprising. So basically, it's a game about the... Uh, it's the history of the pride movement in the sixties, seventies and eighties. And basically there are two players. One is basically playing, um, the, the pride side of things. And the other is playing the, the man is, is what the opponent is called. And so the pride players goal is to get systemic support, to get public support, to get individual support, and then use all of that to kind of advance the Overton window and create tolerance for uh for queer life and expression in the world in the united states and then of course the man is trying to oppress them brutally and is trying to detain and demoralize cards from the pride players deck and it is just it's a tough game emotionally actually because uh taylor did a really really good job of recreating the history and including actual historical figures including actual groups and 
aspects of the movement that I, I knew nothing about um, until I played his game and started to look up who some of the cards were. And it is actually one of those games where playing it solo, I've only played it two player one time and it was with Taylor and it was agonizing to play it with another person who is being the opposition and literally oppressing me in the game. It really creates that feeling of like upset that, you know, something like that should create. And so solo is a little bit easier because it's against an automated opponent instead of a person who's actively doing it to you, if that makes sense. But it's still very upsetting to feel like you failed the pride movement when you're not doing well. (laughs) Right. Um, But it's, it's, it's a really fantastic game. It's a deck builder that has like a lot of moving different scales back and forth. You're using your cards to, to interfere with the balance of power and with what the other player is trying to do. And I think it's just really good. It's very well thought out. Um, It's a very sensitive historical portrayal, but also one that's sort of gutting and Yeah. That's how I like my historical games. So Yeah, no, I I, I totally feel you. So uh yeah, I know Taylor from uh I think we met right before the pandemic at our local game convention Strategicon in LA. And um I I think he play tested my game there at the time, and then we ended up kind of playtesting each other's games with our uh, couple friends on TTS like weekly for a while. And I'm I was always impressed with like all of Taylor's designs. Like he's got some really really interesting game design ideas. He plays a lot of really interesting da- games, which I think that's how it you know translates to him creating really interesting games. But um, this, I ended up I was like I played a prototype of this on TTS um, a while ago. And uh, and then I got to play a partial game with Taylor at uh, PAX Unplugged. And uh, yeah, no, I totally feel you. It's it's very it's very well done, but um, you're gonna feel that. Like it's yeah, it's 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 really like it's a sensitive kind of subject. But I'm glad that he kind of presented it and in a you know a tasteful way where where people can learn you know about what went on back then. Yeah, the subject matter is definitely in good hands with him. And, you know, for those of you who are interested in games about queer history, he's actually co-designing another one with Joe Schmidt. I don't know if you were watching the Whirly Gig announcement stream. I heard about that. Yeah. But uh, Taylor Schuss and Joe Schmidt are working together on a game called The Sacred Band. And it's like a two-player cooperative game where you're playing one of the couples as part of the Sacred Band. So ancient Thebes had an elite warrior unit called The Sacred Band that was made up of pairs of male lovers with the idea that men would fight harder if they were defending their beloved in the field and also not wanting to look weak in front of their you know their partner and so they were pretty much the hottest fighting force around until alexander the great and so this game is about fighting as them and the other player is your partner and you're trying to use you have the same deck of cards but you don't have the same cards in your hand and you're trying to Mm. match what the other player is thinking and if you can get your minds in sync then you get little eros tokens because like your relationship has improved <laughs> and it improves parts Interesting. of the game yeah i'm really excited to see where it's gonna go i know that judgment's doing a solo mode as well i'm very curious to see what he'll do with that uh because he's he's a very interesting designer in his own right for solo stuff as well and so it's two designers i think are cool coming together to make a game that's about an interesting topic i think it's gonna be really neat. i'm looking forward to it tremendously me too. Me too. Me too. Um, so 
My next game that I've played recently is a Feast for Odin, which is oh, that's a good uh, one. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's an Uwe Rosenberg design, you know, Uwe Rosenberg design Bonanza, Agricola, Lahav, Patchwork, a million games, and it originally it originally released in 2016. And actually, when a kind of a pivotal weekend in my gaming life, <laughs> my, my life in modern board games uh, was in September, Labor Day weekend of 2018, when I went to my local game convention, Strategicon, and I met my friend Jennifer Schlickburn there. And Jennifer just saw me walking around, like looking like a lost puppy and was like, hey, I'm going to like show you some games and she likes heavy games. So she was like, I'm going to show you some games. You know? um, <laughs> and the, the very first game she showed me was uh, Brass Birmingham. And it, that was when Brass Birmingham just came out. And I was like, is this a heavy game? You know, she's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but I like I instantly fell in love with that game. And then the next day at the convention, she took me down the path of Uwe Rosenberg and taught me a feast for Odin, Agricola, and then later that day I played with a friend, uh, Eric Elder, that she introduced me to, uh, or at Labora. So I had this whole day of Uwe Rosenberg games, but it was at a time when I was very new to heavier games and just modern board games in general. So it kind of just like left an impression on me. I was like, "Wow, this is kind of crazy," but I didn't like fall in love with it or anything. So. Recently, uh, Beth Hiley from BGG, I was talking to her and somehow I forget what we were even talking about, but a feast for Odin popped up and I was like, huh, I need to revisit that game. So then I ended up tracking down a copy on the BGG marketplace, getting a copy and it happened to arrive on my actual birthday. So I convinced my partner, Matt, to play with me and I had a great time. Um, so a Feast for Odin is published by Furland Spiel and Z-Man Games, and it plays with one to four players. It's a Viking-themed, big, sandboxy, and puzzly, heavy worker placement and tile placement game. And like basically in the game, you everybody has their own player board that has this kind of grid, this open grid that has a ton of negative points and a bunch of squares. So you start the game with negative points and the whole game you're trying to like work yourself out of a hole by buying different polyomino tiles like Tetris pieces that you're going to try to fill up your board and cover up a lot of those negative points to try to like get your score to be positive and hopefully higher than your opponent's. So this game comes in a huge box, huge box. And uh, there are two trays worth of different goods tiles that are different sizes and shapes. And uh, you can basically, like, they start at orange level and then you can upgrade an orange to a red. You can upgrade a re red to a green. And you can upgrade a green to a blue, which is a luxury tile. Then you also have the this board of, like, special tiles so the, the, the normal tiles, there are, it's unlimited supply pretty much. But then you have these special tiles, which are these really crazy different shapes that take up more space um, and they're all unique. So there's just like one copy of each of them. And it is a worker placement game. So you start the game with five Viking workers and each round you're just going to get a new one that's kind of joining your crew. 
And then there's this long main game board that has like a million worker placement spaces. Not a million, <laughs> but a lot. <laughs> a lot. It looks very intimidating initially, but everything is kind of grouped together thematically. Like you have an area of worker spots where you can do crafting and you can like turn resources or goods into other goods. There's a mountains and trading area where you can gain resources and silver from the mountains. There's a livestock market where you can get cattle and sheep, which are worth points, but uh, they can also help you produce more goods and they can get pregnant and have babies and help you get more goods. Um, then you can like build ships, which you can, you have a bunch of different sailing actions. You do raiding, pillaging to gain luxury tiles and special tiles. You can also explore with your boats and get these island boards which come with more negative points, but other like goodies if you're able to, you know, get tiles and cover certain things. And then you could like build houses, you could do hunting. Uh, the other thing about this, this big kind of main worker placement board is it's divided into columns. So all of the actions in the leftmost column, you only use one worker. You only need to place one worker on them. The second column, you need to place two workers to take the actions in the second column. Then you need to place three workers in the third column and four workers in the fourth column. So there are a lot of different options you'll have to choose from, but it kind of leads to this very sandboxy game where you can kind of choose your own adventure for how you want to play. There are lots of different ways to score victory points. Uh, so you just pretty much play by normal worker placement stuff. You're going to place some Vikings out on action space, take the action until all players run out of workers or Vikings. And um, after that, you're going to have to feed your people that you have this table on your player board that has spaces for, again, these polyomino tiles. So the orange and red tiles, I think, are all food. And you have to you have to make sure you save enough of those, which you do get some from a harvest that happens at the beginning of the round. But there are like tile placement rules on everything so like you cannot put two orange tiles next to each other and if you put two of the same tiles only the first one can be horizontal and kind of take up more space the other one you have to place vertically but overall uh man i had a blast he was very much afraid at first looking at it but i pulled the birthday card i'm like it was just my birthday you gotta play with me <laughs> and even at, I think it was like past 10 o'clock at night and we had like three more rounds to go and he was trying to like say like, yeah, let's finish tomorrow because he wanted to watch some sci-fi show or something. <laughs> but I was not having, I was like, let's just push through. So then I just kind of like pushed the game and we, we ended up having a blast. He even admits like he really liked it. He had this, uh, this moment where he went wailing and when you go whaling and hunting and stuff, you're rolling a die and then you're using weapon cards to kind of get you to the point where you could be successful. And he had this just like really epic whaling session. So there were like lots of cool moments in the game, even just from our little two player game. And I could see like this game like doesn't have a whole lot of player interaction per se, especially with two players like. There were moments where I felt like I was nervous that he was going to go on a spot that I wanted to go on, but there are just so many spaces that there's always something you should be able to do. But I love the balance of you're trying to kind of like build an income engine because also on your player board, 
going up the diagonally, you have coins and there's a whole tile, there are tile placement rules for you to cover up certain squares. And once you cover up certain squares, then you can kind of like jump to another income level. So you're trying to do that. But on the other side of your board is all the negative points. So you have to kind of decide when you want to cover up negative points versus covering up uh, boxes that you're trying to get income from. And they're like bonus goods you can kind of surround. So this is like very puzzly. There's a, a little bit of like push your luck element when it comes to rolling the dice. and But also when you're adding new island boards and getting sheds, every time you do that, you're getting negative points. So you're <laughs> you're like, oh, am I going to be able to like do all this, you know? But I, I don't know. Like I really, really had a blast and I think I get it. Like I know a lot of people love this game. And now I think I'm I, I think I have the Feast for Odin bug. You played it too, Liz? Long ago. You know, I still need to get my own copy, so I've only ever got to play it when other people get it out. Um, you know, or just borrow. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so I, I haven't got to spend as much time with it as I want to. But I have really enjoyed the time with it I've spent. Um, I think it's a really good game. It's got a lot going on, but it's not actually as bad as it looks once you settle in a little bit. And yeah. so you know, I think it's worth the overhead. And then it's actually probably one of my favorite Uwe games. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm i going to – so, so far right now, I think Lahav is still my favorite because um, I'm, I'm just – I'm not a big farming fan, so I haven't gotten the Agricola bug yet. I'm saying yet because so, I, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll be like, oh, I'm all about Agricola. But uh, I tend I to like just like other games. Yeah, I had, the I had it. I had it past <laughs> tense, very past tense. So, okay, I noticed that Agricola is really a, a fun game. It's very enjoyable. But if you play it a whole lot, if you play it too much, you end up realizing that you're playing the same opening moves every time, especially for solo, because mm-hmm. you're trying to optimize that score. So you figure out what is going to be the best for you, especially with like the little profession cards that you get and stuff. And you, you, you learn how to abuse whatever the game gives you to kind of wring more out of it. Um, but then every individual game gets less and less interesting because you're just tweaking ah. and there's no really big interesting moves anymore. At least I've kind of started to feel that way. I think it was not helped by the fact that I started playing it on the app because I was at one point addicted enough to just sit there and play it on the app. Um, but because <laughs> the app lets you burn through that game so quick, I was like, okay, let me try it this way. All right, let me try it this way. And then, and then I was just done. Yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of friends who are super into Agricola, so we'll we'll see. But I think I don't know what it is with me, and I'm not a big farming game fan. Like something about farming themes don't excite me. Yeah, I think we all have that theme that doesn't quite do it for us. For me, so I will play certain space games, but they have to be very good. There's nothing about mm. space that is inherently interesting or attractive to me at all. So it has to already <laughs> it has to have something else going for has it. To be, has to have something special. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so Feast for Odin, like I, I do have a copy of the Norwegians expansion coming because I hear awesome things about that. So, um, you know, there are some people who never play without it, kind of thing. It's like you know uh, Tuscany with viticulture. So I'm excited to try that, and um, I love that it's on Board Game Arena also because you can kind of uh, bang out some games on there. 
But yeah, I don't know. Something it's it's it always just kind of fascinates me how sometimes I feel like I'm not excited about something and then I just go the opposite and I'm so excited by something. And um, I also just really enjoyed like it's kind of a relaxing game, sort of. I, I don't know how to describe it, but it might be just the sandboxy nature of doing your own thing and um you know it's it's not like completely multiplayer solitaire but um you know i felt like there was a little bit of interaction like when you're when you start seeing people go to get those special tiles and you're like oh yeah there's only one of those while supplies last go get them but otherwise i don't know if it's just like the theme is really well integrated or what it is but they like I really dig it. I love the the puzzle aspect of the the polyomino side and um just trying to get rid of those negative points and and build your engine and everything. So, as of now, I am a big fan of A Feast for Odin. Excellent. Since this is the first this is going to be the first episode in March, I figured it'd be cool to do a quick Women's History Month spotlight and, uh, you know, show some love to uh, the women gamers and game designers. And yeah, I love us, too. (laughs) 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 So, oh, I think the obvious choice for this moment, uh, at least the moment that we're talking, um, is uh, Votes for Women from Tori Brown. Um, it is yes. a game published by Fort Circle Games. And uh, just to, to full disclosure, um, I can't review this game because um, Kevin Bertram hired me to do the official tutorials for it. So there is a conflict of interest when I talk about it, but I also just genuinely like the game. And I feel like it's gotcha. worth mentioning specifically for this. Uh, but gotcha. um, thanks for. <laughs> I, I am nothing if not fully honest about everything. Um, <laughs> I love but, it. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I, I I really genuinely admire a lot that's a lot of what's going on in votes for women. Um, it's just such a well thought out game historically. I like that you know both sides are compelling to play in their own kind of weird ways, and you know solo it's great against the Oppobot. So this game can be done actually up to four player if you want to split each side into two players. But I really view it as a two player game with a solo mode. Um, but you are fighting factions you have the suffragists versus the opposition and you're trying to get congress to approve the amendment for women to vote and then you have to send it to the states for for ratification and so the game is about lobbying congress and it's about building support in every single state and it's about trying to hold ground and gain ground and you know when you do that it's a card driven game so you're playing cards back and forth sometimes for the event on the card sometimes for um campaigning or to get buttons which are one of the one of the in-game currencies there's like these like cool little campaign buttons in the box um that you're using for gameplay and they're based on real designs i think it's really neat but what I like is that the game is accessible, but also asks really hard questions. You know, you have to make a choice as a suffragist player whether you're going to do the Southern strategy or not. Mm. Um, things grind to a halt while the Civil War is going on. And so the game really is honest about some of the historical options in play to the point where there's actually two different colors for the suffragist side because it represents sort of a lack of unity among people with different identities and affiliations within the suffragist movement. 
And I just love that that much thought went into the game and that it was put together that well and that it approaches a really tough topic about, you know, women's rights in such an honest and also interesting way. So that would be my pick. Yeah. Votes for women. Actually, uh, we just talked about it on the previous episode of this podcast with um, I was with Mandy Hutchinson. And uh, also got a female designer, which is really, really cool. So, um, yeah, I really dig it. And I think it's just very well implemented. Um, And you definitely, like, feel the struggles, like, regardless of which side you're playing in that game. Yeah, it's a real slugfest. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to um, a female designer, Roberta Taylor, who is the designer of Creature Comforts, which is a game from Kids Table BG. And I have never actually played Creature Comforts, but <laughs> it's one of those games that um, Lincoln and Nikki, uh, like Lincoln, they played it on game night. And like Lincoln told me about it. I think it was on uh, him and Nikki's top 10 of 2022 list. And it was on somebody else's list. And it keeps popping up on like everywhere and it's I really really want to play it because it's a family friendly kind of cutesy looking game but there's like there's some real like meaty game stuff happening in it which I love games like that which kind of you know seem on the surface like oh like that's just a kid's game but no this is like a gamer's game you know um, but it's a family-friendly kind of worker placement style game. I'm putting air quotes around worker placement when I say that. But you're trying to create the most comfortable den for your animals before winter comes. So it's got a really cute Aww. theme. Yeah, <laughs> very cute artwork and everything. And each round, like you're going to send your family members out to gain supplies and build home improvements and gain these comfort cards And you have different locations on the board. And some of them, I think most of them require dice. So like basically if you're on a spot, you might need to allocate a a four four value die to be able to do X, Y, Z. But um, the way it works is you'll simultaneously roll your own two family dice. So if I'm purple, I have two purple dice. And everybody's doing this at the same time. And after you roll your two dice, you kind of lock them in on your player board. And then you simultaneously place your workers out on the board on whatever locations you want. Because you're not blocking anybody else out. You know, you can only have, I think you can only have one of your own at every location. But all of this is happening simultaneously, which is really kind of like interesting. So everybody's you know, minimal downtime because we're all thinking at the same time, like, oh, do I want to put the put one here, put one there? You know, you're kind of um, making making those decisions. Then whoever's the active player is going to roll four white dice. Um, and those are kind of like public dice that everyone is going to get to use on their turn. So you have your two personal dice and then you have these four white public dice. And starting with, I guess, the active player who was like player one, they will then take all of the actions wherever they place their little animal meeples out on the board and, you know, allocate their dice. You know, there are certain action spaces that maybe like you get one resource if you use a one or two die, but if you use a five or six die, you might get three resources or something like that. So you're kind of 
allocating these six dice, your two personal ones and the four public ones, to take actions around the board to like get resources, to get these different cards and upgrades and everything. And I don't know. I think that that whole like dice allocation and simultaneous worker placement sounds like really neat. And it just it is a cute game. <laughs> but I, but I've heard so many people say like how it's like a really great game. So I am um, I'm looking for that is Creature Comforts. But Roberta also co-designed the Red Bernoose Algeria 1857 with Matt Shoemaker which was uh, another 2022 release from Hit 'em with a Shoe and I picked this up I think at Gen Con and it's a cooperative board game with like deck building and area control where you join Fadma Nesumner in her fight against the invading French armies in the Kabylie Kabylie region of Algeria in 1857 so it's like most historical games and war games feature men as leaders so it's really cool that they're featuring an Algerian anti-colonial woman leader. And I love deck building. I love area control. I love cooperative games. So I am looking forward to playing it. Like I said, I picked it up at Gen Con, but uh, Roberta co-designed that one. So, um, And that is the Red Bernoose Algeria 1857. Have you played uh, either of those? I have played the Red Bernoose. It's actually in my it's 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 undergoing its review plays right now. So I'm oh, prepping okay. a review for it and and cool. you know taking my time I, with it, you know. Cool, cool. <laughs> well, I will look out for look out for that cuz I'll probably see your review before I get to play it. Yeah, although I'm really so curious about how you're going to feel about it too, so. Okay. All right, we'll <laughs> circle back. We'll circle back. <laughs> Anyway, let, let's jump into the joys of solo gaming. So, Liz, I, you know, I feel like you're the perfect person to talk to about this. You certainly have played way more solo board games than I have. So I love, uh, you know, getting recommendations from you, watching your playthroughs and reviews and everything. How long have you been kind of like doing this and like what got you into it? Oh, geez. Okay. In terms of actually making things online about solo games, I got my website and decided that I was beyond solitaire in 2016. And I had started a channel by 2017. So I've been doing that for a while. But before that, I was already playing solo games and, you know, just kind of enjoying the online community about it. But it started because, so, you know, I loved board games when I was younger. I didn't play very many in college. I played a lot of video games in college. And then in grad school, I had a couple who were my friends. You know, one of them was my fellow student. And they had a little a little baby daughter. And so in order to hang out with them, uh, we went over to their house. And so we would just chill out and, you know, put the baby to bed. And um, then after that, when it was only adults left, we'd play board games. And so we played <laughs> Catan and we played Ticket to Ride. And also at that time, I'd kind of developed an interest in Magic the Gathering. And I was really enjoying all of this. And I wanted to play more games. And I also absolutely love Magic the Gathering and deck construction. But that is expensive. It's so expensive. <laughs> and then I and then I chose a cheaper hobby. And that no, that's a lie, actually. But um <laughs> but um I, I found out about the Lord of the Rings living card game and that it had deck construction and that it was cooperative Ooh. and that you had pre-made decks of cards that were they were selling, so you didn't have to like hunt through booster packs for what you wanted. And so I was like, this sounds perfect. Let me buy it. And then nobody wanted to play it with me, but you could play it solo. 
So I started to play it solo and I realized that I like to play solo games. So I was like, oh, I wonder if I'm weird if other people do this. And then I found out that everybody <laughs> does this. <laughs> and uh, I've just That's been cool. a solo gamer ever since. That's cool. I don't remember like what the very first thing I played solo, but I definitely have a, a fond memory of when I initially got Terraforming Mars Um I think this was pretty like this was year one for me. You know, I'd heard about terraforming Mars and I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this game. And I got it. And I, I think in order to like learn the rules and stuff, I was like, let me sit down and try this solo. And I had this like magical moment sitting at my kitchen table where, you know, the, I ticked up the the heat or whatever, and then the water went up, and then that triggered the oxygen to go up, and I had this like really satisfying like combo you know move in terraforming Mars, and I'm sitting at the table, and I was just like into it. And I think I had to like go somewhere at some point, like leave the game there, and I just couldn't wait to kind of get back to it. So I think <laughs> like I think for me, um, in a similar fashion. Like, I think I started playing games solo because either I wanted to learn a game before I was, like, teaching um, or because I didn't have people to play with and I wanted to play more than I was getting to, like, actually play with people. And, like, personally, yeah, and, and, like, personally, I just find... I just love it. You know, some people love like just sitting there doing a jigs, working on a jigsaw puzzle or a crossword puzzle yes. or something like that. It's, you know, it's so, it's kind of relaxing sitting there, playing a game, setting up a game, playing it by yourself, moving pieces around. Like I, you know, there are a lot of people who sometimes will be like, oh, I don't want to go through all the work of setting up a board game, moving stuff around. I'd rather play a video game. And that's totally cool. That's totally cool. But I am very much the opposite. Like, I would rather sit at a table with pieces that I can move and flip cards and, you know, than to um, get into, like, a video game on the screen or something. I don't know what it is, but I now have gotten to a point where I have so many solo games. Like, I think I got Onirum pretty early on. Yeah. And, you know, and now I have like a whole like I could probably have a whole shelf of solo only games and I don't even have time to play them all, which I'm like, I I want I want to play them all so bad, but I never can get to them. So I need to like dedicate more time, more me time to actually sit down with some of the games because I really do like enjoy those moments. One of us. One. <laughs> <laughs> but I also I, I I was also gonna say real quick, I also think it's cool, like, you know, I love seeing the modern board game hobby grow, you know, even since I've been in, in mid twenty eighteen to now early twenty twenty three, like they're just like more people getting into it, more games coming out. D- different themes and everything and it's it's really like all there's something for everybody and that's exciting and i feel like it's like the rush of solo games is kind of coming up in a similar way and like almost every board game that comes out these days has a solo mode like it's i feel like you're in the minority if your game doesn't have a solo mode not sometimes <laughs> it doesn't work and sometimes people don't care for certain games but it's like always nice that you have the option because there are a lot of people 
who maybe don't have a game group to play with and they want to enjoy, you know, just getting into these games and learning these games. Yeah, you actually hit on one of the reasons I became more of a solo gamer, which is that my desire to game outpaced my opportunities to game with other people. But if you can do it by yourself, then you can do it all the time. Uh, I actually am very much an omni gamer in this sense. So you mentioned jigsaw puzzles. I love jigsaw puzzles. Like jigsaw plus audiobook is like a beautiful evening for me. Um, I <laughs> love it. I love video games. I spend a lot of time with my Switch. I got a Steam Deck this year. Like I just played. I've actually started to review the occasional video game on my channel because there's so oh. many games that are like digital deck builders. And other oh, things yeah. like weird mashups. So, <laughs> you know, I I like it all really. But um, yeah, what it is for me is it's it's self-care, it's me time. I need a lot of alone time. I'm a I'm a teacher. I come across as very extroverted and I can really get excited and energized by being around other people. But then I hit a wall and I'm I'm just done. Like I don't need to talk to anybody, I just need to be alone. <laughs> and <Yeah>. so <laughs> I need to fill that that alone time where I'm alone with my thoughts as well. And so I read a ton, but I also love to game a ton in that time. And it's really, I need it emotionally to be a balanced person. That's cool. That's awesome. But there are, I mean, you know it better than me, probably. Uh, There are like a lot of awesome games out there that are either, you know, made for one player or just multiplayer that play really, really well with one player. And so Liz and I kind of figured we'd kind of just make a few recommendations of some games we really enjoy. Um, and we broke them up into categories that Liz came up with. <laughs> and the first the first category is lunch break or lunchtime games, meaning, you know, games you can just kind of play in an hour or less, you know, whatever your lunch break time is. So, yeah, that's that's the first one. If you want to share what you picked yeah absolutely so i'm gonna cheat and like mention several so i have a rotating cast of lunch break games <laughs> i just kind of make it through my my backpack but um so my lunch break is not an hour it is really realistically about 20 to 25 minutes because again teacher so uh if i'm going to slip <laughs> one in it has to be short so right now it's in my my current game bag like well book school bag game it's not a game bag. I wish um, is uh, is uh, regicide because I also just have decks of cards in my room. So if I don't have the actual game on me, I can just play it because you can play with a regular deck of cards. Um, but regicide is a neat little card game because you can play it one to four players, but it works great solo. There's also an app if you just have an iPad at work and you want to make it real quick. Uh, you can just really pump out a lot of plays of regicide. Um, but you're basically using the numeral cards in a deck of cards to defeat the face cards because you're trying to like beat all the jacks and then the queens and then the kings and each suit has a different power like one of them is defense and one of them doubles your offense and so basically you're trying to you know take damage successfully um and then also you know, combine your forces to defeat the face cards and it's really hard I do I, I cannot guarantee a win when I start this game. <laughs> and so I think that's really good. Um, other things that have been in my bag recently, uh, I love Sprawlopolis, um, Agropolis, similarly. Um, and then I also have gotten a kick out of Orchard in recent months. Um, that's a nice little desktop game. So I love tiny, tiny little pocket games because, you know, if you're going to get interrupted by students like all day in my life, Dr. D, Dr. D, hey, Dr. D, knock, 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 knock at the door, <laughs> knock at the window. D, I left D. my, 
I left my Chromebook. I, you know, can we go to a meeting? Can we do this? So if I want to slip a game, it's got to be tight. So Quick. I pick small ones. <laughs> nice, nice. Actually, I ended up picking Sprawlopolis. <laughs> so it's funny uh, you brought that one up too. Yeah, Sprawlopolis is a 2018 release uh, designed by Stephen Aramini, Danny Devine, and Paul Kluka. And it's from Button Chai Games, and they make all these little wallet games. They have other wallet solitaire games, too. I, I just got a new one. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but you can Sprawlopolis, you could technically play with one of four players. Um, some people will argue it's best uh, solo. Um, but you have this, it's like an 18-card uh, city-building game where you're building a city with these cards. At the beginning of the game, you'll shuffle the cards, and um, the cards are two-sided, right? Well, all cards are, right? <laughs> uh, but <laughs> on one side, you have uh, part of the city, so it's uh, it'll be divided into four different types of blocks. So you can have uh, industrial, commercial, residential, or parks. So, And then there are roads that are kind of, their paths of roads that are placed differently on each of the cards on the other side of the card um you have a scoring condition so at the beginning of the game you shuffle the cards you draw three and flip them over and that's going to be your three scoring conditions for this particular game then the scoring cards they have a, a number of points at the top the total of all three of your cards is the score that you need to exceed or hit to win i forget if it's exceed but they'll have like, you know, maybe if you have certain types of blocks, like parks next to residential, you'll get three points for every time you're able to do that. And others will have penalties. Like if you have a residential next to an industrial block, like maybe you'll get a penalty minus one point. Um, and some where you're like getting points if you have roads connecting different things. So each of these 18 cards has a scoring objective on one side. And on the other side, it has some kind of like cityscape of four different um, types of blocks and roads. So after you pick your three scoring objectives, you'll p place one card as you're on the city side of it um, to kind of start off your city. And then from there, you have a hand of three cards that you're able to um, play one at a time to add it to your city and you have to put it adjacent to another card or you can like overlap them a little bit. And you're basically doing that until you place all the cards out and then you're scoring it up. So you'll score like your biggest group of uh, contiguous like sections of parks or and residential and industrial and commercial. Then you get penalties for each separate road. So you're kind of incentivized to make all your roads connect while you're also trying to do whatever your scoring objective is. And um, and then you score your three scoring objectives. And if you hit the number you're supposed to, good job. Otherwise, try again. But yeah, it's just, it's a small game that's, um, I picked it up when I went to Essen in 2019. And we ended up like playing it on the train a bunch. And uh, I I think you could probably get away with it on an airplane tray, maybe, maybe. Um, you but can. Yeah, I Ask me yeah. how I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's in, it's a really easy game to travel around. It plays quickly. And, and the other one's like a farming one that just came out a, a year or so ago. That, what is it, Agropolis? Yeah, or it's, it's Agropolis. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think they're they're pretty similar, maybe just different themes. I don't know what's uh, so. Actually, different. they can be combined. It's like Agropolis oh. is like a. It's basically it's it's essentially just like Sprawlopolis. There's some twists. Like I don't I don't mean it's exact clone, but it's got different kinds of land on it, like different kinds of fields, and there's like little animals and stuff. But there's still <laughs> roads, and okay. I have not done this. But you can actually combine the two games. You can play Sprawlopolis and Agropolis together. That's wild. So I That's don't wild. exactly know how it's done, but I know that it can be done. Okay. But you can also play it on its own. Cool, cool, cool. Well, that is Sprawlopolis. Uh, a couple others that I was just like thinking that could work is, again, Anirum. Anything. Uh, I can't think of any of the other games in that world right now, but there are a bunch of solo games um, yes, that Sylveon, kind of, Stellarion, yes. Nautilion, <laughs> Arion. Yeah, <laughs> those all are good. actually real game titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're all pretty good. I I I think I own them all, but I maybe haven't played all of them. But they're they have really great art, and um, they're generally pretty easy to pick up. Um, and then I was also thinking about Friday. Uh, mm-hmm. Friday's a, a good little like deck building game, small box. Um, I think you played Tetrarchia. Tetrarchia. Wow. Tetrarchia. Yeah, there the we go. The one from Draco Ideas? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a that's neat a, little game. Yeah. That's like a tiny box and it's um, kind of like pandemic style gameplay. Um, that was another one. And then uh, Lux Eterna. Or is it that the that Tony Boydell played. game? You haven't played that yet? No. Okay. Um, Should yeah, I? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's like it's like a real-time game where you have this like spaceship that you're trying to manage a bunch of stuff. I haven't played it for a while, but it's a, another like small box, and it doesn't take that long. And the last one I'll mention is that I haven't played yet. I don't know if you have, but speaking of David Thompson, uh, Resist. Uh, oh, I, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, yeah, I haven't tried it yet. Like ah, uh, I want I want to try it. I want to try it real bad. I have it. It's on my shelf of opportunity. So I'm looking forward to trying that. But I've I've heard like really great things about it. So yes, take the opportunity. Take it shamelessly and without hesitation. It's very good. <laughs> love it. Love it. So let's jump to our <laughs> next category. Let's let's talk about um, puzzly game recommendations. Yeah, so there are a lot of options for this, but I just went with one. I do like puzzly things in general, including actual jigsaw puzzles. Um, But for a puzzly game, I thought that a fun choice for that today would be Bullet Heart. Um, I Have you played it? No. Okay, Bullet Heart is an absolute delight. So it is from Level 99 Games. It's designed by... I heard it's good. Joshua Van Lanningham. I, yeah. And it's one to four players, but it's good you know, at one. I like it quite a bit. But basically, it is a bullet hell game with, like, anime art, and there's even a soundtrack if you want to go look for it. (laughs) But essentially (laughs) what's happening is there are a few different game modes, but I like the one where you're fighting a boss because it's just so satisfying. And, like, you can play stupid music and be like, you know, like, you know, um, (laughs) get really into it. But essentially what happens is you have this bag, it's a draw bag, full of bullets that have different values and colors, and you have to place them on your little area. And if the bullets get to the bottom of the area, you get hurt. And if you get hurt enough, you die. And so Ah. you have these little powers that allow you to manipulate the bullets so they go into different combinations 
based on the cards that you've got in your little hand. And you can use that to fire bullets back at the boss and get them off of your display so they can't hurt you. And so you're like dodging these bullets and figuring out how to hit them back at, you know, the bad guy. But you have to do it through your powers to manipulate spatially the bullets that are on your your player area. And then you have to recognize the smartest ways to put them in patterns in order to fire them back. And so it's very puzzly, but it's also, it's just got like this really great vibe to it that I think is really fun. And there's, it's got a sequel called bullet star that I don't have yet, but I think I probably need to do that. This might be my reminder to pick that up. (laughs) So that was bullet heart, (laughs) bullet heart. It's, it's literally stylized as bullet with like a little heart next to it. I, Um, yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I have heard, I think two other people highly recommend this game too. So I need to I need to for sure check it out. That's cool. It's okay. excellent. Awesome. Well, you're I think you think the game I'm about to say is also excellent. And uh my pick for the puzzly category um is Black Sonata. Oh, that's a great game. Black Sonata uh originally released as a print and play in 2017 and then it had an official version from Side Room Games in 2018. It is designed by John Keane and it is a one player hidden movement game i'll let that process in everybody's brains for a second one player hidden movement game so crazy um basically you're wandering around london and circa 1600 and you're trying to find the identity of the mysterious dark lady of william shakespeare's sonnets so this game has this like really little tiny board and a couple of decks of cards and you're you're moving around the city to different spaces and you're trying to deduce where the dark lady is. And then um, once you are able to find her, then you're getting clues to try to figure out who who she is um, by narrowing it down to like three different traits. So at the beginning of the game. You shuffle the deck of Dark Lady cards and you're going to like tuck one under and that's going to be the Dark Lady that we're trying to find, um, figure out for the game. And on the back of the Dark Lady cards, there are like different like flower icons. So that's going to help give you some data when you get some, when you get clues. Um, but there's there's the Dark Lady is going to move based on a deck of cards, but you don't know exactly where she's moving you just know uh, there's a symbol on these decks of cards and spaces on the map have different symbols. So once you see a certain symbol, you're like, okay, so she either moved here or here. And then you're also moving around the city and you're trying to like kind of um, use deduction to get to whatever space she's on. And then when you get to her, if you're if you successfully find her, with the like, what is it? The location cards that have the little hole on it, and you flip it over, and you can see if you were right or not. It's really cool. Then you'll get to like, get a clue, and the clue is gonna help you deduce uh, what the traits are because the other uh, mysterious, the other dark lady cards have stats, and they each also will have three traits and it'll be a clue. Like maybe if the flower on the back of uh, the lady is a pink flower, you look on this clue card and for pink flower, it says maybe one of these matches, but 
two of them i don't know don't i don't know i'm I, I forget exactly what they look like but it's just a really cool unique kind of puzzly game and you don't really uh imagine like i don't know i've never heard of another hidden movement solo game so i know you've played it any other thoughts uh, to my knowledge, is the only hidden movement solo game. I absolutely love this. I actually thought about choosing this for this category. Um, I figured it was it was, it was high <laughs> the list. Um, I just think it's a it's such a brilliant design. I also would describe it if you're thinking about what it feels like to play it. Um, if you ever did those logic puzzles when you were a kid, where you know you had those grids and it was like this person has this kind of clue about them, and you'd eliminate options for who the yeah, you know yeah. who might have this kind of dog or whatever. I feel like. Black Sonata is an, a more exciting version of that. It's the same kind of reasoning where you yeah. are aware of like what symbols there are and which ones she can't have. So therefore she must have these. And right. so, you know, it's, it's got a really fun feel of chase because you do have to like get to where she is and you don't know where she's going exactly. Um, but also um, logicking it out. Yep. Yep. It's awesome. Black Sonata. Check that one out. Also a small box. That could also be a lunchtime game. Um, but a couple other options that I just, uh, kind of tossed in here. Um, the search for planet X is mm. a great deduction game, uh, to play solo or with other people. Um, and also a feast for Odin, which I just talked about is another good, like puzzly, um, game to play solo. And then the last one I wanted to throw in was, uh, roads and boats. I haven't played roads and boats solo yet, but, I have seen uh, Edward from Heavy Cardboard play it and other people talk about it. And you have these like different scenarios and it's already like a logistics efficiency puzzle when you're playing that. But um, I think the way the the solo scenarios work out, it's even more puzzly. So um, I do want to try to play Roads and Boats solo at some point. Man, I wish I'd bought that one when I had the chance. That was a mistake. Uh, oh, Roads and Boats? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'll oh, find well, I guess it. we you'll can't all be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up getting lucky because my um, my friend Nate was getting rid of his copy and hooked me up. So that was cool. Brilliant. What about for kind of story driven solo games for people who want more of a, a narrative kind of story experience? So I actually chose this category not because it's a kind of game that I like very much, but it, because I think that people often do like it and you know i wanted sure, to kind of yeah. put something for everybody in this episode so i actually don't have the best judgment on these narrative driven games because i typically do not like them however i did play one this year that i really enjoyed and i thought it was the best in show of games of its type that i've played um and that is lands of galzier it is from uh snowdale design sami oh. Loxo is the designer and Dale it is guy right yeah, yeah, the Deal Merchants yeah. guy. It's the same art. It's the same world. Same really freaking cute animals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and basically, it's just an open world game. Like, there's a mechanic where you're supposed to, like, get prestige, but honestly, just ignore it and wander around. Um, you get to be one of these <laughs> four starting animals, and you get to go... There's some skills that you have, and there's some skill checks. And you do need to use an app with it to, like, generate all the different experiences. But you go to different locations... You have different events happen to you. You respond to them in whatever way. 
And then you maybe maybe roll a skill check and see how you did. And you just keep going. But it's just such a charming, like, sweet little game. It's not very scary. It's not. It's just a very chill, exploratory kind of experience. And I really think that if you're going to have a game like that, then you need to accept that that's what you're going to get. So it feels like a, a gamier choose-your-own-adventure. But it doesn't try too hard to force the game elements on you, which is a complaint I've had. Like, one of the things I didn't like about Sleeping Gods is I felt like it had too many chores for me. Mm. like too many little things to manage but lands of gauzier is really more about what happens next cool and i really liked that awesome awesome yeah i've i've been curious to try that one just because um i did um just discover or play dale merchants for the first time last year and i really liked it um so that is that's cool so i wasn't really sure what to do with this one either but then when i was like looking through some of my solo games, um, I picked the one that I think was best fitting. And I picked Nemo's War 2nd Edition. So uh, Nemo's War is a 2017 release. I think the original edition is from 2009. It's designed by Chris Taylor, and it's from Victory Point Games. Uh, and it's designed as a solo game, but I think in the 2nd Edition, they have some rules where you can... Uh, add other players, but I don't know if that's, you know, the ideal way to do it. Um, but it's based on Jules Verne's uh, novel, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And it basically tells the story of Captain Nemo and his astounding ship, the Nautilus. So you basically are going to take on the role of Captain Nemo and you're going to, at the beginning of the game, pick a motive, which is cool. So you can be like, oh, I want to focus on exploring. I want to focus on science, anti-imperialism, you know, so you're going to like pick a motive and that kind of is going to guide you in terms of what how things score for you when you're trying to get victory points. Um, and this game has a gorgeous board uh, that I love the layout of it. So you, when I take the board out, I'm instantly like already sucked in, just like kind of setting it up. And it's uh, the art and graphic design, everything is by Ian O'Toole. So no surprise that I loved it. <laughs> but you have like everything. It's like a big dashboard. So you have one part of the board in the center where you have these different kind of ocean areas, which is going to be the ships that are going to spawn and your ship where your ship is moving around. And and then on the other side, um, there's some player aid stuff uh, when ships need to be repaired or salvaged. They're over there. And then uh, I don't even remember right now what's on the left side, but Above the ocean area, you have different tracks for your like the status of the Nautilus um, in terms of your crew level, how Nemo is, and your hull status and everything. And then you're also keeping track of your notoriety. And there's uh, at the beginning of the game, you kind of you'll stack a deck of cards, and they're kind of like these narrative cards that are split into I think it was three three different acts. So um, each round, you're going to like flip a card and then there's like flavor text to kind of set the tone of the story. And, you know, maybe it's an event, might be something else. Um, but that's really something cool to like, I don't know. I like I like that. Like, it's kind of exciting to like flip a card and see what are we doing today? What's going on? Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. And then and then you're going to like so you're going to play through um this deck and you're like you one of the phases of the game is you're going to put ship tokens out on the board so you roll some dice see where ships and these are enemy ships 
And then you roll two dice to see how many action points you get. You take the difference of the two dice. And then um, for actions, uh, you can move around to different uh, ocean areas. And then also a lot of the actions you're doing, um, you're going to be rolling dice to see how well you did on this action success table. But uh, there is a lot of dice rolling in this game, by the way. But um, <laughs> yes. you can <laughs> you can modify your um, your roles by exerting like your Nemo level, your crew level, or your hull level. Um, and it's kind of depending on which kind of action you're taking, it'll tell you which one or options you have for exerting to kind of modify your die roll. And it's a sort of it's a risky thing because if you modify your die roll with like, let's say I'm going to exert some of my crew to try to modify a die roll. And if I'm not successful, my crew level is going to lower, <laughs> which is bad. But if I'm successful, everything's fine. Nothing, you know, no, no impact. So that's kind of a cool mechanisms, but you you can search for um, and collect different treasure on the board. Um, you can also like take actions to kind of man- manipulate your, you know, to improve your crew level, to fix your hull and everything, um, to help Nemo, to like lower notoriety. There are all sorts of things you can do. You can attack ships on the board. And I just found that it's a very just immersive game. It's very challenging uh, all of the flavor text and the layout of the board and the art and just I'm like when I set that up and play it I'm in it I'm on an adventure I lose track of time and it's kind of got a sandbox feel where you can again like you know do do whatever you want um, plus I think the like the different motives you can choose at the beginning of the game are cool um, and they kind of change up the feel of the game so that is why I picked Nemo's War. I think that's a great choice. Nemo's War is such a solo classic. Um, You know, I actually wasn't thinking about it when I thought about this category, but I love that you put it here because it's a great game and it's a great solo game. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been on that top people's choice top list for a long time for a reason. (laughs) It's fantastic. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. And then my other little side option which is less of a story where the game has a story, but where you feel a story um, develop as you play it is uh, this war of mine, the board game. Oh yeah. That's a tough yeah. one though. You gotta, you gotta be ready for some pain if you can play. Oh that. yeah. That one is, <laughs> it is really a struggle. I, I feel like it, that one to me feels like a more realistic dead of winter without zombies kind of, you know? Yeah. But it's another one. I've, I've only played a little bit of it, but it kind of uh, really sucked me in. And I, you know, I cared about my characters and what was happening and oh, all yeah. that stuff. So uh, let's jump to the next next category. Historical games. Oh, gosh. I love so many historical games. I could really I just know, talk about historical games all day. So for those of you out there who don't know, uh, historical is definitely my favorite genre of games. Um, my podcast, Beyond Solitaire, is basically all about history and gaming and just the more nerdy I can make it, the better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, for today, I chose one of my standbys because I just like it and I, it just comes out regularly. So I I decided to put it on here and that is uh, Stilico, Last of the Romans. 
It is the nice. successor to the Wars of Marcus Aurelius by the same designer, Robert Dulesky, and from the same publisher, uh, Hollenspiel. And Stilicho, Last of the Romans, is basically about being Stilicho. He was a general uh, for the Emperor Honorius, and he really did his best to hold together a hot mess and was underappreciated for his labors. Uh, there were, you know, he's out doing all these wars and there are people trying to drip poison about him in the emperor's ear at home and get him executed. And, you know, he's got all these different battles to fight, including with a usurper, but also some, you know, um, non-Romans who are ready to fight. And so he is, you know, in a, just an impossible position. In fact, in reality, he only made it to like turn three of the game. Uh, you know, if you play the game, Yikes. like if you make it past her, you did better than Silica. <laughs> oh my and, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just think it's really fun. So Robert Dulesky does a really good job of creating these games that are very accessible, but also have a lot of different information packed into them. So if you want to pick up lots of historical references and kind of see, you know, what were who were the main players and like what kinds of tensions did they have, it's all there. And it's also got a mechanism that I really like, which is I love having a hand of cards and then just trying to get as much out of it as possible. So it's, again, one of those games where you draw a hand of cards and you can play them for an action or you can play them for, you know, the ability to do different things on the on the board. And that works for me consistently in games. And so still a of the Romans just works for me consistently. Um, there are some die throws that can go bad for you. Um, you can do your best to mitigate it. So you know, use those cards the way that you need to use them. Uh, but <laughs> I, I just find it really, it's like a really nice little work night game for me. Yeah. And, you know, like I could have been in like coin or like, Oh, let's, you know, do the crunchy history thing. Cause I love all those too. But I thought that maybe something that was like a little quirky, but still really accessible might be the best choice for, for this particular night. So Stilico last of the Romans. It's very fun. It's very interesting. You're going to get your butt kicked and you'll like it. <laughs> great, great pick. I actually had that on my like uh, backup options list. I still haven't <laughs> played Stilico, but I've played the Wars of Mar Marcus Aurelius. And I think I Gosh, originally, yeah, I think your video playthrough, I think was originally what made me be like, I'm going to get this. And I, I think I ended up just buying them both. And <laughs> I know... I feel like uh, Clay from Capstone Games also has told me, like, check out Stilco, you know. So anyway, I need to I need to dive into that one. And I'm glad I'm I'm kind of glad that we didn't have overlap. But I'm sure you're going to also like the next one on my list, which is Pavlov's House. Oh, that's <laughs> or, such a or good basically. One. Yeah. Or basically any game in um, the Valiant Defense series from uh, David Thompson and Dan Versing Games. Pavlov's House was the first one, I believe, and it came out in 2018. And it is specifically a solo game where you take control of the valiant defenders of a Soviet strongpoint in Stalingrad as they basically hold out against constant German attacks for almost two months in World War II. So Pavlov's House was a fortified apartment building used as a strongpoint by the Soviet 62nd army during the pivotal battle of Stalingrad in World War II and the Soviet defenders held out for almost two months from constant German assault. So in this game, that is what you are doing. I really like the way the game board is laid out. It's split into these three key sections 
And on the right side, uh, you're basically running kind of a more operational game where you're controlling the Soviet army and you're trying to defend yourself and get supplies to the soldiers that are in Pavlov's house. And then the middle of the board has this kind of like tower defense area where you have these different color tracks where um, German um, soldiers are going to be advancing and trying to get into Pavlov's house and hopefully they don't make it there because then the game is over for you. And then um, on the left side, that is the a representation of the inside of Pavlov's house where you know you have different soldiers positioned there and they are defending and attacking um, as well. But like the layout of the board is really, really cool and the art and the graphic design is so clean. It makes it very accessible and easy to get into. So you play through several phases and you're basically trying to get through till the uh, German deck of cards runs out, meaning you you survived. And you have this deck of cards, uh, operational cards also that you'll draw at the start of a round. And each of the cards have two, like it's split into two sections, the top and bottom. So you have choices um, um, because they're multi-use cards with how you want to play the cards to take operational actions. You can kind of um, move supplies or set up supplies to be moved to uh, Pavlov's house. You can add tokens on different spots on the board or remove uh, disrupted tokens that um, the Germans are kind of throwing your way. And then the Germans are going to have a turn where you're going to draw three cards and resolve them. And a lot of what they're doing is they're going to be adding infantry units to uh, these different tracks. And you'll figure out which track it is by rolling a D6 Um, And if there's already a unit on that track, you're going to push them forward. So there's like this pressure as uh, as the German infantry start to build up on these tracks. You have to kind of make sure you're keeping an eye on that and taking care of that um, or else that's, again, one of the ways you can lose the game. And then they can attack the house directly in that deck. I think they also there's a there are resupply cards Meaning when a resupply card comes up, you have to have food in the house to feed the soldiers that are in there. So that's something you have to kind of manage. And then after the German turn, then there's a tactical phase where you're going to do stuff with the soldiers that are in Pavlov's house. And they can they can move around to different sections. So you have spaces in the house and they're different colors. So I think the three colors are green, red, and purple. And they're corresponding to the tracks that the Germans are advancing on. And it's basically telling you where your line of sight is and where their line of sight is for um, attacking. Like if I'm in a purple box, that means I can attack any German soldiers that are on the purple tracks. And then so you, you can move your characters around. I think you can like recruit new ones at different points. And each of the soldiers are these like big tokens that have actual pictures of the real people who were involved historically, which is really cool. Um, But they can, when you're in there, you'll get to take three actions. You can attack, um, you can suppress, or you can kind of recover because after you take an action, your token's going to flip over and they're going to be exhausted. So none of the soldiers can take like two actions in the same round. Um, But it's just a really awesome solo game. Lots of interesting decisions. And it's really cool how you're kind of juggling the operational level on the right side. And that's like, that's, that's your main army, but then you're also juggling. You have these 
soldiers that are in this house that you're also like trying to take, put out fires there too. And you end up just like, there's a lot to kind of do, but it's all presented in a very accessible way. And it can be played in about an hour too. It's also really cool. Like it's a snippet of World War II history that I didn't know anything about. So um, I love that it's kind of like showcasing something new for me to uh, learn. And then the other cool thing is David Thompson and Dan Versing Games have a whole series going here. So Pavlov's House was the first game in it. And then there's a game called Castle Itter, uh, The Strangest Battle of World War II, which came out in 2019, Soldiers mm-hmm. and Postmen's Uniforms, which came out in 2021. And the newest one is Lanzareth Ridge. So like there are lots of games in this series to check out. But again, I, I think it's just it's a challenging game. Uh, very accessible in terms of the way it's presented. It's really helpful for learning the game and making it more intuitive to play. And then, like I said, I had some backup options. Stilco slash The Wars of Marcus Aurelius was on there. Uh, Warfighter, another a card game from Dan Versing Games. Another yeah. great historical solo gaming experience. And uh, Joel Toppin and GMT's Navajo Wars is an, another... That's a little bit like a little heavier, but um, I think it's like just a really unique historical board game. Yes, those are all excellent choices. I absolutely love the Valiant Defense series, no question. Uh, but if you want to go lighter, another option maybe is so it's not exactly historical in the sense that it's a mishmash of periods, but I love um, Kayenta Games' uh, obsession. Dan Halligan's game about oh, uh oh, yeah. So if you if you love to watch British period pieces and you think that Downton Abbey is fun and you think that Pride and Prejudice is fun and you want to kind of just I don't know, put your pinkies up and, and be silly. Uh, I think <laughs> Obsession is a fantastic game and it's got totally. enough historical grounding that you know you can also feel like you're entering that period of time. So if you, you know, had a huge Colin Firth is very attractive because I watched the Pride and Prejudice BBC miniseries phase, <laughs> not to out myself or anything. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Obsession, the, yes. The game is super fun. It's so cute. Like the new edition is better than the first one was, and I am a fan. So, you know, there's there's a whole lot of ways to historical game. They're all so good. Or Pax Premier, yep. I would say, is also a very good option. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I tried that only solo once, but that's another one that I like I should I should revisit. So so many solo games, so little time. <laughs> right? Everyone should just leave us alone so we can play games by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um so for the last category here, it is play all day. So this is where we're thinking either it's like there's some complexity to the game or just like the game length is long, just slightly heavier stuff for if you have a whole day to yourself and you just want to like really dig into something thick. <laughs> so what do you have for your uh, play all day pick? So I didn't go too heavy, but I definitely went. Well, OK, physically, yeah, I did. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it's it's also long uh my my basically my favorite solo game of last year hoppelmachus victorum has been growing on me as i've been taking more time to really play it um if you like very overproduced i i don't think it's actually such a thing as overproduced but if you like very uh luxuriously produced games um you know with lots of neoprene and 
chunky clinky poker chips and all that kind of stuff then you would like chip theory <laughs> games in general but i particularly love hoplomachus victorum because i love the original hoplomachus of years ago but victorum is great because it is a solo campaign where you have a champion and you are building up a elite team of gladiators who get better dice throughout the game and who get better abilities throughout the game and who just become more awesome until you have like a big confrontation with a final boss so the reason this is a play all day is if you have if you have um, original Hoppomachus or Hoppomachus remastered, there are shorter versions of this game to play. You don't have to play all day. And I mean, you can save Hoppomachus Victorum. You could play in shorter sessions, but why would I do that? So if I want to play all day, <laughs> um, you know, this game has three acts. So basically you start out with, you know, your little starting stats and your little neutral units. So you go up against some Primuses who are like little sub bosses. And then in the third act, you go up against a, um, a big monster. So it could be like the Hydra. It could be Pluto himself. You know, you can, you, there's a range of difficulty levels you can pick and you go and do these different encounters. So like some of the encounters are like little athletic events, like, you know, capture the flag or, you know, king of the mountain or something like that. And then others are, you have to kill everyone or die yourself. So blood lusty events. And then there are also, you know, little opportunities that you can take where if you can achieve something in particular during another event, then you get a special reward for it. And so you're traveling around the ancient world. It's not the real ancient world <laughs> it's a very ridiculous <laughs> fantasy ancient world but i mean i'm here for it uh and you just try out these different events and sometimes you have to spectate which you know advances evil but also lets you heal up and there are just so many ways to play it and so many cards in there and so many things to do it's beautiful uh and you want to spend a good chunk of your day with it for the full experience. So, and um, I don't know if I explained it. It's a tactical gladiator game. So you've got lots of dice, but also chips that have special abilities on them. You're moving around these little maps and, um, you know, trying to fight it out with some, some enemy gladiators. And it is so fun. I really love it. And I like it more actually as time goes by. Like when I first got it, I was kind of eh about it. Cause I didn't like that. It took so long, but mm. when I do take the day, I'm like, oh, man, I love it. Hoplomachus <laughs> <laughs> Victorum. So I also love this game. I have my copy here, and it is sitting in a shrink right in front of my shelf, like begging me to like just take it. But I've been kind of waiting because I knew I would want to kind of give it a day, you know, or or at least have a significant chunk of time to play it. So that's the only reason I haven't played it yet, because when I demoed it at Gen Con for twice. Uh, once was just like uh, a regular demo. And then they had, they were doing um, content creator demos, like a two hour demo session. So that like, I fell in love with it there. And you're right. Like in terms of luxurious gaming experience, like this is, I don't know if it gets better than this right now, but um yeah, I I think it's like really, 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 really awesome. It almost came on my list. I picked something else. Um, so it, it is one of my like sidebar backup options. Um, I picked something else and I honest, I thought that I was going to overlap with you on what I picked. So then I picked something else. <laughs> so I'll just be quick about it. The first game that uh, came to mind was Mage Knight. <laughs> oh that's such a good one i know i know oh, you yeah. love i know you love oh, it's my favorite also. i try yeah. to surprise people <laughs> yeah so i was like 
as I'm like uh, making some notes for myself on Major Night, because I haven't played it in a while, I ended up saying like, oh, Liz might be talking about this. So let me pick one of my backups. And my backup two options were Hoplomachus Victorum and Too Many Bones. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, those are all yeah. so great. I, mean, I love I, all three of those. <laughs> so, so I was right there with you. But um, so Mage Knight is a game from 2011 um, designed by Vlada Shavtel and published by WizKids. You know, Vlada is just like a an awesome designer, code names through the ages. And Mage Knight, uh, Tosh Kalar, so many great games. Uh, but Mage Knight is a one to four player game. It's very heavy. Um, it's kind of co- complex, but you're like this mage and you have this this deck of cards that are custom to your hero and you're able to, you're going to be adding cards to your deck throughout the game, exploring locations, like fighting enemies to gain fame. You can get spells and recruit armies and conquer cities. Like you'll have a scenario that you have some goal, but it's this like big sprawling kind of game that I feel like I need a day to play. Cause I got my copy. I remember before I originally got, I got the ultimate edition um, I forget when it came out, but I got it for Christmas. And leading up to that, I think for like two and a half weeks straight, I was watching Ricky Royal's uh, instructional videos. His voice is Those so, so good. <laughs> and like, yeah, so I would just like enjoying like learning the game. And then I actually like on Christmas Day, I remember one year, a couple years ago, I just set it up and I just like was learning and playing all day and I loved it. And I've been wanting to kind of redo it ever since. But I haven't, I haven't gotten around to it because it's, it's, it's a big one. It's a big one, and it's like you know. Now I'm gonna have to refresh the rules, but like the hand management decisions, um, I love the exploration in it. It's just, it's, it's a really, really awesome game. Especially, I've only played it solo before, so, um, so that's Mage Knight. And real, real quick, Too Many Bones was the other game I was gonna throw in which is another chip theory game, same publishing company that makes Hoplomachus Victorum. And uh, Too Many Bones is by Josh and Adam Carlson. And it's a solo cooperative adventure game where you're going to play as a gear lock and you have this neoprene mat where throughout the game, you're going to be leveling up your gear lock. All the gear locks are so different, number one. They all have their own personality and play style, but then you're going to be able to level them up with these different skill dice And then there's a whole different, there are different paths of skills you can kind of take with each gear lock. So even if you play the same gear lock over and over, you can kind of do different things with them. But like there's, there's Gilly who can like, he can play traps, um, which all the can, can set. So the baddies will walk into them. He's uh, an archer. So he has like, when he levels up, he can shoot multi arrows um, then you have like Stanza, who's a, bo- a bard and she's got an instrument and she can play songs for effects. Like they're just all these awesome gear locks. And this is another game that feels like an adventure. You're going to play through this like encounter card deck and then you're just going to be going through a series of battles mostly, but not every uh, encounter is a battle, but you have this stack of this queue of baddies that are coming out on this like kind of four by four uh, battle sheet grid. That's another, everything's a uh, neoprene mats in this game and you have poker chips for your gear lock. And then their health is stacked underneath again, like Hoplomachus Victorum. Um, it is just like a really fantastic game to play solo. 
And I, I think I love it even more with two players, but it's like probably one of my favorite games to play solo. So that was, I, I was going to say that because I thought you were going to say Mage Knight. And then like <laughs> Hoppelmachus Victorum was my other play all day, but cool, cool. No, fantastic. So literally the reason I did not say Mage Knight is because if anybody has heard me talk before, they know Mage Knight is my absolute number one solo <laughs> game of all time. Like I will never shut up about it. So I was trying to be trying, <laughs> trying to, be to mix it up. <laughs> I'm trying to be good. But Mage Knight is really just the best solo game of all time. I I refuse to retract that statement. Uh but um <laughs> Hopplebikes Victorum and Too Many Bones, I would say they're in my top ten. They're they're just so good. They're so, so solid. Good. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna take a day to play, like you really can't do better. Yeah, I 100% agree. Ah, Liz, it has been a blast as always talking to you. And uh, yeah, like I'm I'm so like juiced up right now, like talking about all these solo games. I want to go play one right now, but um, I <laughs> am just about to embark on a big trip, and I need to get some things done and pack. So. <laughs> Yes, uh, you can have that adventure and then you can come home and decompress with a solo gaming adventure. I love it. Or I or I might take something with me. I'll pack some, something that travels light, you know? <laughs> That's always a good idea. You never know how long you can get stuck in an airport. Like, just don't ever leave yourself unprepared. <laughs> yep. Always have games in the backpack. <laughs> well, thanks again for uh, doing this today, Liz. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait until we cross paths again. Same here, same here. You've been listening to the Board Game Geek Podcast, produced and edited by Candace Harris. Special thanks to Matt Fonda for editing and mixing our music. Be sure to visit us on the web at boardgamegeek.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch under Board Game Geek. You can reach us by email at podcast at boardgamegeek.com. Thanks for listening, and happy gaming!